So um, just a quick uh, follow-up to um, uh, Paul's presentation. Um, this, uh, this topic of um, testing the Internet of Things, I uh, did a presentation on something similar or related to that called Skynet is Here. <laughs> you all know who Sky, what Skynet is? As yeah, the Terminator. Yeah. So there's a recorded version of that webinar posted out on the uh, RBCS website if you want to take a listen to it. I kind of, Paul was more focused, I think, on the technological end of it. How do we test this? And I was more focused on the sociological end of it, like what are the, what are the human implications of, of all of this stuff happening and, and can we even test it? So if you're curious about that, feel free to take a look at it. Um, and if any of you are wondering, what, what is this brown stuff that I'm drinking? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I am from the United States and yes, I do drink whiskey, but this is not whiskey, okay? <laughs> and speaking of which, Paul mentioned Dodge City, which is a famous Old West town in the United States, and he talked about people carrying guns and shooting each other. Just understand, many of us Americans who have guns have never shot anybody and have no intention of shooting anybody. So, you know, don't be afraid. We're, some of us are armed and harmless, okay? <laughs> Most of us are armed and harmless. All right, so tools. Um, so, um, Excuse me. <clears throat> Something in the air here, some kind of blooming thing that's making me cough a lot. But, um, so tools. Tools are great. And we, as Paul said, we are going to need a lot of them. And that's, that's definitely true. The need will continue. But unfortunately, like, tools are often very expensive. So people were asking me yesterday during my risk-based testing talk about, oh, well, you know, can test management tools support risk-based testing? I said, yeah, but what's your budget? And they said, oh, um, zero. Ah, okay. So then you need to get open source tools, free tools, right? So you might think, oh, free, free, that's great. Free, free is always in budget. I can always afford free, right? Well, yeah, but your time isn't free, right? So if you just go out and pull something down off the internet and go, oh, this is so cool because it's free, and then you spend, you know, three months trying to get it to work, and then you discover, oh, no, it doesn't work at all. Your three months were not free, were they? Right? So this, this happens. This happens not infrequently. You, you know, you can waste a lot of time if you um, don't choose the, the right tools. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of tools that, that free tools that have been successfully used by our clients and point out some, you know, that this, this has worked and this hasn't and so forth. Just give you some thoughts. Now, there's a bigger question here, which is how do I go about selecting the tool? Okay. Now, I'm not going to talk about that because that's a, a fairly um, extensive process. But I am going to be doing a free webinar on that in June. So if you go to our website and you register for that uh, webinar, um, it happens at uh, 1 p.m. Central Time, which is kind of late in the evening here, I understand. Um, if you don't have time to listen to it or you don't feel like staying up until whatever, what would that be, uh, 8, 8 p.m., 9 p.m.? something like that. You can always listen to the recorded version later. I strongly encourage you to, to not just go, oh, cool, free tool, let me go download it, 
right? Rex said that worked at the conference, because I don't want you to do that because some of these tools have been successfully used by my clients and you could download them and then find out, oh no, my problem is different than the client that successfully used it that Rex talked about. Okay, so, so selection is important here. All right, so most of the time, I think, when people talk about test automation, they're talking about graphical user interface automation, right? If I say automated testing, you're thinking automated testing through the GUI, yeah? Okay, so what's out there? Um, well, Selenium, yeah? That, that's the that's the one that we hear of most often from our clients as being successfully used. When it's used right, okay? I've heard plenty of stories about it being used wrong, um, which is there's in, insufficient attention paid to building a proper keyword-driven architecture for the automation prior to starting to create the automated tests. And then you get the usual unmaintainable pile of garbage scripts, okay? And um, <clears throat> a lot of times when this happens, people don't actually know it has happened. So one of the things that is very important, and this is true with any tool, but especially with these graphical user interface test automation tools, have a business case and be able to measure the return on investment. Okay, and when you measure the return on investment, what you're looking at is how much time is saved by running these automated tests compared to doing it manually. But you also have to look at what is the cost of first developing the automated tests and then maintaining them. Okay, know what your return on investment is for this. And I've, I've talked to clients before, they've spent a lot of money on automation and if one of the first things I'll ask them typically is, what's your return on investment? And almost always they just kind of look at me and go, uh-oh, <laughs> consultant asked me a question I should know how to answer and I don't. <laughs> right? So that, that's, we're, we're bad that way, consultants, we are, because we know, we've seen these things happen before, so we know the questions to ask that, you know, people probably don't know the answer to. So be smart. Outsmart the, con the consultant who comes in and know your return on investment for your automation, okay? Um, so performance testing, let's say you need to do performance testing. So I guess what we probably see most frequently in terms of free tools being used for performance testing is JMeter. That seems to be the one that's, that's most commonly used uh, open source. Now we do see a lot of people doing, you know, uh, what is HP calling it now, Performance Center, I think is their, their current name for it. And there's the cloud-based uh, uh, solution, uh, Sosta. Um, but, you know, that, that, that's great if you've got just money, 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 right? But I assume that since you're here listening to me talk about free tools, you don't. So <laughs> if you don't have a lot of money, then, um, you know, don't even bother looking at, at uh, Sosta and, and uh, uh, Performance Center because, um, you know, our clients who have looked at that have always come away pretty shell-shocked by the price. Okay. We do see some people using a tool called OpenSTA. Um, 
seems to be much, much less common than J-meter. Now, the, the good thing with these performance testing uh, options is that usually you're going to build the load generation scripts, use them, and throw them away. Just rebuild them the next time. So this maintenance is less of an issue here. But what we have seen be a big issue is people doing performance testing who don't understand performance testing. Okay? We have a saying in the United States, a fool with a tool is still a fool. <laughs> okay? There is no like concentrated wisdom in those tools. It's going to like drip down your forehead and into your eyes, you know, like Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock. No? Okay. Anyway. Jimi Hendrix, you know Jimi Hendrix, right? Yeah? Jimi Hendrix, okay, good. Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock had a bandana over his head, and when he started to sweat, the bandana was dripping into his eyes, and you know what was in the sweat? Anyone? Trivia question? LSD. So he got more creative as the day went on, apparently. So anyway, you're not going to have any, anything, LSD, wisdom, anything like that, dripping into your eyes from using these tools, okay? And, and so, it, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up is that performance testing and performance optimization for systems is really complicated. There are a lot of things that you have to know about the architecture of systems and how they work and so forth. And I see this happen over and over again. The people that do not understand how systems are built, how the underlying technology works, they start doing performance testing. And then they have these results. And they think the results are meaningful. They report the results. People make decisions based on the results. The results are wrong. Okay, so do yourself a favor. If you're going to try to do some performance testing before you download any of these tools and start doing it, educate yourself about how to do proper performance testing, understanding the technology that you're working with and so forth. Because you don't want to generate a bunch of test results that, you know, look reasonable but are totally uh, meaningless. Now, another thing I'll mention here, too, is... Um, there have been some performance testing tools out there that, that were open source, available to everybody, and they went away. Okay? Was withdrawn from being available openly. So this is always a risk with the free tools. So any, any free tool that you look at, um, you know, is it actually open source? Or is it a tool that's, that is a downsized version of a commercial tool? Might the, the downsized version of the commercial tool be withdrawn and people be forced to either upgrade or move? You know, something to keep in mind. All right, web services. Testing web service. How many of you do in web service type of stuff? Yeah, quite a few, right. So um, what we see typically here is uh, SOAP UI used for this. This is the, the free tool. Now it's really, um, it, this is one of those kind of uh, stripped down versions of a commercial tool that's, um, the commercial version is offered by uh, SmartBear. Okay, SmartBear also often offers a commercial test automation tool graphical user interface test automation tool called uh, Test Complete. Okay. 
So, SOAP UI works, but it's not the world's most reliable thing. It, uh, you have, it's, it's kind of temperamental. Okay, so you can use it and it'll work for you, but you have to be careful to save your work frequently because you might be in the middle of doing something and then it just goes and it's gone. <laughs> if you didn't save your work, then you have to create it all over again. Um, the commercial version you would think would be better, but apparently it's not from what I've heard from my clients. It suffers the same kind of problems. I don't know what you get out of the commercial version. I guess more features, but not more reliability. Um, I, I did a web search too to see, well, beyond SOAP UI, what else is out there? And, and what seems to show up frequently is, is TestMaker and Web Inject. But I, I have to say that of all the clients that we've worked with around the world, nobody's using it. Any of you using either of those? TestMaker, Web Inject? Yes? No? Okay. I was hoping to see somebody say yes and I love it or something, but no. So apparently those of you who are doing this, you're all using SOAP UI, right? Yeah, okay. And it's not very reliable, is it? It, it works, yeah. <laughs> okay, so dynamic analysis. If you're doing performance testing, reliability testing, other types of testing where you need to, uh, what we would say in the United States is look under the hood. You know that expression? Look under the hood. I mean, actually check, see what's going on inside the system while you're testing it. So if you need to do that, what you need is what's called a dynamic analysis tool. Now most of the um, operating systems that you'll be working on will have some sort of built-in uh, dynamic analysis uh, capability. So if you're a Linux world, how many of you are doing Linux type of stuff? How many more Windows based? Okay, yeah, the, the, there's really more out there for, the, for those of you who are in the Linux, Unix kind of world than the Windows world here. But if you're in Linux, um, you have top um, and some other options that are built into Linux. At Windows, you have Perfmon. Now, let's suppose that you are looking for a memory leak. You know what a memory leak is? Yeah. C or C++ or some similar language that allows you to allocate memory off of the heap. You know. Um, so Linux, Unix, um, Mac, you have uh, Valgrind. Um, on the PC side of the equation, there's, there's WinLeak. Um, Valgrind, uh, I don't have experience with, with WinLeak directly or haven't heard a whole lot of clients mention it. Valgrind, yeah, I've, I've played around with that and have heard that mentioned. One of the things to keep in mind about Valgrind is it has a very uh, heavy, what's referred to as a probe effect. The probe effect is the way that the, the tool affects the system being tested. It consumes a lot of memory, which is kind of a problem when you're looking for memory leaks, huh? Right, I mean it's it's you know kind of interferes with what you're what you're trying to test. So um, you know, I guess you could say, what do you want for nothing? <laughs> right, it's free, and it is open source, and it's very tunable. Uh, expect to spend some time learning how to master it. Um, 
you know if you just start using it and not you don't spend time understanding what it's doing it, it can be a little confusing um, you'll get results that at first seem to be telling you one thing but then when you dig into it more closely they're telling you something else so make sure you know again like the performance testing tools that you, you know what you're doing with this thing okay so a lot of you um, are in the land of agile yeah um, so <clears throat> feature verification testing of one kind or another acceptance test driven development behavior driven development I refer to those as, as uh, functional verification tests or feature verification tests and the reason I'm using the word verify here is the tests are all going to be created from the user stories or the acceptance criteria for the user stories, right? So they're verifying that the specified uh, requirements have been met. And it's important to keep in mind that, you know, verification is great. Yeah, we need to verify things. But there's also validation, which is demonstrating that it actually solves a real problem for a real person who really matters, right? And verification by itself does not equal validation. They are partially overlapping sets. Okay. So I, the reason I mention this is that, that I, some of our clients kind of overlie on this stuff. Oh, what could possibly go wrong? Well, we have well, one of my favorites. I'll hear something like, "Well, we've got we've got five thousand fitness tests doing acceptance test driven development testing for us." So we can change anything we want, and we don't have to worry about anything being broken by that. Aha, uh -huh, I see. You have discovered the magic bullet, the test that can kill 100% of the bugs. Well, I hear that. I hear that about unit tests, too. So there's a line in one of Kent Beck's books, I think it's Extreme Programming Explained, where he says something about, you know, you've got this complete set of unit tests created via test-driven development, which means you can refactor your code anytime and you don't have to worry about breaking it. Really? Really? A unit test that can find 100% of the regression bugs. A unit test that can find 100% of any bugs. I don't think so. Right. Typical defect detection effectiveness of a unit test is 25%. Typical defect detection effectiveness of a black box set of tests, a very complete black box set of tests, is about 85%. Okay. So, you know, this is great. Have, sure, I'm, don't, I'm not saying don't bother with unit testing, don't bother with doing this feature verification testing. Absolutely, do it. Create the tests and ideally, you know, put them in your, um, your continuous integration frameworks, which we'll all talk about in a minute. Put them in there. Yeah, you know, that's, that's good. But don't fool yourself about what you're getting out of this. You do not have a bulletproof shield against regression bugs. You've got a filter that will remove a significant portion of the regression bugs, but not all of them, and it doesn't demonstrate that the system actually solves anybody's problems. Not completely. Okay, now, when I created these slides, up until that point, 
I had never encountered a client that had successfully implemented Agile without also implementing continuous integration. And two weeks ago, <laughs> I did. Um, they seem to be fairly successful, but no, they don't have complete continuous integration frameworks because they're doing something that I hadn't run into before, which is Agile for mainframe software. So they're like, you know, where do we find a COBOL version <laughs> of Jenkins <laughs> or Hudson? Um, so, you know, I said, well, you know, no, you're not going to find that, but it's open source, so you can port, port it over to your environment. Um, but that's, that's a pretty heavy lift. Most of our clients, you know, they're working in some sort of environment where there's a version of Jenkins or Hudson available for a continuous integration purpose, and they've snapped in various kinds of tests into that framework. And definitely helpful from a testing point of view to get you um, reliable, testable builds. Um, now, I have seen some problems with this. You do have to be a little careful because we, we have one client that said, oh, yeah, you know, we've got this continuous integration framework. Every morning it produces a build. And then one of the people in the test team, they're like 10 testers, one of the people in the test team just copies it into the test environment. Like, you just, just they just do it. And so, yeah, he just comes in every morning and checks to see if the build worked. And around 10 or 10.30, he copies it into the test environment. I'm like, you mean, okay, so there, all the other testers are testing. And he does that. Oh, yeah. And I asked the other testers, you ever notice like around 10.30 in the morning, you're running a test and all of a sudden it goes, bloop, and, it's, and it's, you have to start over again? They're like, oh, yeah, that happens every morning around 10.30. All right. So, you know, <laughs> it's okay to shoot yourself in the foot. But don't reload, okay? I mean, it, it, think about it. You're, you know, people having to start over. I mean, they were losing probably about eight or nine person hours of effort every morning at 10 o'clock, 10.30 because of that. So, you know, be smart. Okay, so unit testing, you know, here we're talking about CPP unit, J unit, the so-called X unit family of tools. Uh, again, you know, assuming that you're in an environment where um, you're using a language where these tools are available, you're in good shape. Now, the good news is that these tools are available for a whole lot of programming languages. Um, for my mainframe clients, sadly, not COBOL. <laughs> They're like, there's no COBOL. So, well, you can try porting it over. Um, now, there are code coverage analysis tools, which ideally should be used with these uh, tools when you're doing unit testing. Uh, I say should be. Um, they often are. I see a lot of developers out there using code coverage tools now, which is great, except that they usually don't understand what exactly the tools are telling them. So, you know, I'll ask developers when I'm doing an assessment, oh, okay, so you're doing, um, you're doing code coverage. Yeah. What are you shooting for? 100%. Uh, that'd be 100% statement or branch coverage? Oh, what's the difference? Hmm. All right. Are you getting MCDC coverage? Oh, no, no. I, I, don't, I don't listen to ACDC. I listen to other music. <laughs> you know, they don't know. They, they don't know what, what these tools are telling them, right? So this is an opportunity for you as a tester to learn more about programming testing, program-based testing, white box testing, what these tools are actually telling you. 
and um, help the developers get more value out of unit testing by achieving better uh, coverage. Now, something else that we see used and often uh, successfully is um, static code analysis tools. Uh, sonar and Splint um, seem to be the most typical open source options that we're running into. Um, you have to be careful that you use the right uh, command line options with them. Um, there are also um, complexity analysis tools, static complexity analysis tools. So for example, in the Linux world, there's a tool called PM McCabe that will give you uh, McCabe psychomatic complexity metrics for code. Now be careful with this PM McCabe tool if you decide to use it because they, their interpretation of McCabe psychomatic complexity is a little bit different than what McCabe wrote in his original paper on it. Okay, so do read the documentation because you, you know you need to you need to look at that. Um, so these are useful. They, they certainly can find many different kinds of problems related to unmaintainable code, bad commenting, bad uh, um, naming of uh, variables, and and so forth. Um, but unfortunately, what we see with some of our clients is a uh, attempt to substitute proper code reviews. Uh, with these static analysis tools, okay? The, the, the thing to keep in mind is that the tool can tell you whether or not you wrote the code correctly, but it can't tell you whether or not you wrote the correct code. You all see the difference that I'm making there? It, it has no way of understanding the problem you're trying to solve, and therefore it's got no way of understanding whether the code it's looking at is actually solving that problem. A human being in a code review can. Um, and then there are test design tools. Um, and you know, if you're going to do pairwise tests, how many of you know when I say when I say pairwise testing what I'm talking about? Combinatorial testing, orthogonal arrays, classification trees. Okay, if you're dealing with a situation where you have all sorts of different configuration options that are supposed to be independent, and you looked at it and go, wow, if I've calculated all the total different combinations, I've got 10 bazillion, right? If that's a problem that you have, you need to look at some of these pairwise tools, okay? Go to pairwise.org, take a look at uh, some of the options out there. Uh, my personal favorite is ACTS, that A-C-T-S, it's a free tool. There's also PICT, P-I-C-T. Um, so, you know, those are those are good options, and they're fairly easy to learn and very powerful tools. Um, we hear a lot of people talking about model-based testing, automated model-based testing, but um, we're not seeing a lot of it. I, I helped a client build a model-based testing framework once for a uh, um, handheld medical device. And it worked, but it was a very specialized situation because their requirements were written in a standardized way using a formal language in a machine-readable format, which made it very easy to use the requirements as an input into the test design tool and automatically design tests from them and then turn that over to the automation piece, which would automatically run them. So, you know, I, I guess I can see the say that I have seen not a unicorn, because those don't exist, but the black swan 
um, which is something very, very, very rare, <laughs> right? And then um, scripting tools. The, there are a lot of really good scripting tools out there. In fact, there's actually too many. There's too many scripting tools. Um, and you might say, how, how can there be too many? What, what's too many? Right? I, I go into my closet that I share with my wife. I'm like, look at all those shoes. Isn't that too many? <laughs> and she says, don't get me started because I'll look at your gun collection. So then I shut up, right? <laughs> so, um, but seriously, there are too many of these scripting tools. And the reason, the reason I say there are too many is that what we see happening is that um, companies don't standardize. And so you'll get one group using one scripting language, another group using another, another group using another, and it's the Tower of Babel. You know that story? Tower of Babel? Yeah, you build, everybody's gonna build a tower up to heaven because they wanna ask God some questions. God decides he doesn't like that idea, so he makes them all speak different languages, <laughs> right? Tower of Babel. Oh, I've seen that with a lot of clients and that, it, that creates a lot of uh, waste. But, uh, you know, so standardize within an organization. This is the scripting language we're going to use to do this kind of scripting and train everybody in how to do it, if you possibly can. Now, you might say, well, I'm not a programmer. Um, don't worry, this isn't hard to learn. You can teach yourself these scripting languages. And in fact, it's a good gateway to learning programming. So if you don't know how to program and you're a tester, that's not a good thing. You should know how to program. Start by teaching yourself these scripting languages. And it's amazing the kind of things that you can build with these if, if you are careful with the architecture. Okay, so we'll wind this up and we'll take some questions. So um, I've shown you 10 different areas where you can use open source tools for um, testing by testers, testing by developers, or ideally both. If you are a manager, again, I just want to reinforce something I said at the beginning. You know, free is not free. It's free to download, but it's not free in the sense that your time is not free, right? So don't, as a manager, be careful about that. Don't just assume, oh, free means we can go off and do this. Because there's a direct cost of the people's time, and there's also opportunity costs. People could be doing other things that might be more valuable than playing around with an open source tool. Okay, so keep that in mind. Now, so those caveats um, in place, I would say that we have seen a lot of clients that are having a lot of success with open source tools. Less than there should be, though. I still see a lot of clients that are sticking with the commercial tools and like, oh, no, 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 we're not going to look at that open source stuff. I'm like, why? Well, I don't know. We always use the tools. Well, that must make your tool vendors, salespeople, very happy. <laughs> I don't know if that should be making you very happy, right? So if you're not looking at open source because of something, figure out what that something is, that obstacle, and get it out of the way. Sometimes the obstacle is support options. Okay? We're not very technical, and we don't know how to, to modify the tool ourselves. 
That might or might not be a surmountable obstacle, though. But don't just assume we're not technical, therefore we can't use the open source tools. Because a lot of them, the quality of the open source tools is as good, or in some cases better, than their commercial competitors. So keep them in mind. There's a lot of cool stuff out there, and, and it's free. So I have time for questions. Yes? Yeah. No? OK. Questions? Anyone? Uh, you're going to get your exercise, because they're all three hands up in the back. <laughs> that pesky on switch. Obviously not an open source microphone. Um, so you said uh, about some statistics, uh, unit test effectiveness and functional test effectiveness. For unit test is 25% and for functional test 85%. Uh, can you give us um, some background how you measured that? Okay, so um, the unit test effectiveness that comes from um, Capers-Jones studies. Um, uh, I think that the last, the most recent book that I saw that figure in is the Economics of Software Quality. Capers-Jones published in 2011 or something like that. The 85% figure is actually not just, not, not only functional verification test. I'm not saying functional verification testing by itself is 85%. What I'm saying is a, a, a independent test team that is doing system testing, which in an agile environment would include functional verification testing. When we have measured those teams, they typically find 85% of the bugs. So if they're delivered software that has 100 bugs in it, they will find 85 and 15% and 15 will be subsequently discovered by the customers. Does that answer the question? No? Okay. So those are my own my own studies that I've done. All right, who's next? Uh, hi, Rex. Hey. Uh, uh, my name is Andrew. And my question is about test case management tools, which are better for free. So um, test case management tools that are free would typically fall under the category of test management tools, open source test management tools. Um, and that's, that's not in my presentation because I wanted to include in my presentation categories of tools that I had seen people use open source examples of successfully. Unfortunately, I've not, n none, none of our clients have yet reported to me what I would consider to be a successful use of open source test management tools. Now that said, there are a lot of test man open source test management tools out there available. And I can't, I certainly can't pretend to have spoken to every test manager in the entire world. So I would encourage you to go off and take a look at those and, and do some, some research on your own because I wouldn't be surprised if there are good ones out there. It's, I mean, a, a test management tool is not a terribly complicated thing from an architectural point of view. It's not that hard to, to design a good one. So, you know, take a look, see what you find. 
and let me know, okay? If you use one and you have success with it, send me an email and say, hey, I've used this one and it worked out really well and here's what I'm doing with it because I'm always interested in gathering up these success reports so that I can pass them on to other people. All right, um, another question? Rex? Um, yes. So we uh, got a pretty impressive slide regarding uh, verification free tools. Now what about validation? A bit more tricky. Uh, I see only two tools with communication and common sense. Any other that you have observed? Um, uh, yeah, I mean most, most of the time when you're talking about validation, to the extent that, that that's not addressed by the verification piece, which it partially is, but not all of it. What you're talking about is some sort of manual testing, right? Which would, in an agile world, what we're talking about here is, you know, the, the what Crispin and Gregory would refer to as the three amigos, right? The tester, the developer, and the, and the business stakeholder slash product owner communicating about what it would mean to actually solve the problem. Now, in, in Agile, part of this is supposed to be happening during iteration planning, right? When you're going through the user stories and defining the acceptance criteria for them and so forth, and doing acceptance test-driven development and so on, that that's a collaborative process that is refining the user story, and that's part of the validation right there, right? That's the making sure we're going to build the right thing. But then there has to be another piece after the software is built where you have the testers doing things like checklist-based testing and Elizabeth Hendrickson's bug hunting technique and uh, the exploratory testing techniques uh, that Whitaker and Bach and so forth talk about. And then, of course, uh, some form of, of acceptance test done by the uh, by the the user, him or herself, or the, the business stakeholder that represents the user. Right, and yeah, I, <coughs> excuse me, I don't, you can't really automate it, right, because it, anything that you would do that was automated is inherently verification, right, because it's, verification is checking that specified requirements are met. So basically a test case of, an automated test case of any form is a specified requirement. So anytime you're doing automated testing, you're, you're necessarily doing verification rather than validation primarily. So, good question. Hi, uh, my name is German. Uh, Rex, could you tell us please what is better to download open source tools and uh, pay money to developers for some special features? Or should we talk to our customers, estimate time and uh, develop our own tools exactly for our projects, our teams? Uh, now, I can't address your specific situation because it's possible that your case could be an exception. But in pretty much every case that I have seen, it's almost always better to start with open source and customize than to start from scratch. Um, there, and, and even if you are going to be doing a lot of building of the tool, there's some tremendous open source stuff out there that can be used as the building blocks of that. So for example, the, the programming language TCL or scripting language, TCL scripting language, sometimes called Tickle, is a fantastic platform that I've used to build automated tests 
a number of occasions. It can be downloaded and, and used as a basis for that. Um, there's all sorts of really good building blocks out there that are available. So I would say, you know, assume that you are going to be able to use open source stuff and either customize it to meet your specific needs or download the basic building blocks and build from it. Um, but certainly, you know, that, that's an assumption. You want to check that assumption before you start the project. You want to have a plan. Okay? Okay, hi Rex, my name is Andre, and my question is about tools, this group of record play tools. So the user just clicking this tool records his actions and they replayed. Have you experience of successful using of such tools? No. Um, record playback sort of tools, basically what's going to happen is that you're going to have these exceptionally brittle, unmaintainable scripts that are produced by that. And um, you, you get timing issues, there's, there's all sorts of problems. Um, so there, there is, there's limited use of those record playback tools for purposes of capturing um, non-scripted testing, like exploratory testing or bug hunts or something like that. You capture it, and then if you see a bug, you can attach that script so that the developer might be able to recreate it. But even in that case, it's, you know, might or might not work. I would say you're much better off using some sort of tool like Snagit or something to do a video capture so that you can send a video of what happened to the developer so that they can see it. Um, but yeah, capture playback as a sustainable um, approach for doing graphical user interface test automation is, I'm not, I'm not aware of anyone doing that successfully. Okay. 